Shall we talk about Meta? Since Facebook became the parent company Meta, it's lost over $650 billion in market value. All this when it had lofty promises of changing the way that we think and live online. Here to walk us through what happened and talk about what Meta's future looks like is Daniel Newman, a writer at Forbes and principal analyst at Futurum Research. Hello, Daniel. Hey, thanks for having me. Thank you for joining us on a Sunday morning. So Meta has these, well, at least it had these grand ideas and backed them up with new staff, uh, projects, restructuring, and it's failing. So what happened? Well, I think the economy changed quite a bit, which is part of what happened. And then I think our willingness to look at the longer horizon is becoming more difficult when you're seeing uh, the market under pressure, stock prices falling, companies are you know failing to deliver to their shareholders, and then at the same time, you're seeing a pressure from other alternative products like TikTok that have come in, and so now Facebook and Meta are seeing pressure in their core business, and then they've got this 10-year kind of nebulous vision, spending billions of dollars to try to deliver what might be the next big thing. But the market, at least at this moment, doesn't even know how to spend money on it. So I think they're creating a lot of confusion. There's a lack of clarity. And like I said, now we're heading into a possible recession. And people are like, is is Meta, is Facebook still this exciting growth company, or are they sliding fast? And the latter is what it looks like right now. Yeah, yeah. Meta was uh, toted as the next iteration of the Internet. So do you think that's still happening? Has it just been delayed? Or is Meta looking like uh, an all-out failure that requires a complete pivot? Well, I think the one thing about someone like Mark Zuckerberg, and this was true of Steve Jobs and Bill Gates, was there was those ebbs and flows, right? We all remember when Steve Jobs was pulled out of his own company because he was so insistent on what the future needed to be that uh, the company couldn't make the money near term. And so I think we're in one of those inflection points where I think Mark Zuckerberg's on the right track about the next iteration of the internet is this more immersive experience. But the real question is how can he get back to kind of managing that core business, Facebook, Instagram, WhatsApp, competing with the pressure of TikTok and of YouTube, of the shorts, and and starting to really deliver to their core business and their audience. And then, of course, the pressure that Apple has put them under with the uh, privacy, they have to get their core business right. I feel like companies like Alphabet and Apple make these bets about the future now, but they don't put so much on the line that it it puts a risk of their core businesses failing. And I think that's what everyone's looking at is, is, Mark, how are you putting all this on the line and not getting the core business right to make sure you can pay for what you think the future is going to be. Yeah, the core business thing is critical here. You know, you remember that initial intro video of what all the immersive experiences we were going to have showed us, you know, the one that Meta put out in the beginning. Yeah, so that didn't materialize. And then instead, what we ended up seeing is these uh, offshoot small offerings, you know, the head of uh, fashion at Instagram, Eva Chen, posting like a tiny video of her animated avatar moving slowly through a space. It, It was very awkward. So all the tiny project offshoot launches that were happening to show us the potential of Meta have been quite frankly, pathetic compared to that initial video that Meta showed us. Um, So have people kind of forgotten about that potential metaverse? Well, I think the problem was we have a very short 
horizon as, as a society, right? The immediate gratification is he brought this out and said, hey, this is going to take some time. Um, but we don't really think that way as a society and as consumers. You know, we want to know, I want it now. And so uh, as consumers, we want it now. As investors, we want the returns to come now. And the bottom line was I think he was trying to make this hard pivot to say, yes, we're not this old kind of Facebook that attracts, you know, 40, 50-year-old middle-aged people. We've got something cool and on the horizon. We're going to disrupt ourselves. But the problem was it was never going to happen this fast. Um, first of all, I truly do not believe, Raji, that people are going to wear these heavy headsets. I do think the Oculus acquisition gives them some core technology. But I think people, if you kind of remember Pokemon Go, I keep saying people want to be immersed with technology, but they want to be out in, in social. We saw that at the end of the pandemic. Everybody went back to traveling and back to experiences. We don't want to visit an island on a headset. We want to go to the island. Now, when we get there, though, could we have some type of wearable technology that helps us see all the great sites and engage with the with the culture and, and do language translation. These are actual metaverse slash, um, you know, future collaboration technology experiences that can be created. But this idea of us going and hiding in a dark room with our headset on, I think that's a really small part of the population. And I think uh, Meta has to recalibrate and say, how do we get the people to connect and get them out into the world? Because I think that's what we really want. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think you might be right about that. Last year, Apple announced these uh, big changes to its privacy policy, and they did it in order to give users greater control of their data, also to make it harder for advertisers to sponge every ounce of our data from us. What impact did that did those changes to the privacy policy have on Meta's bottom line, do you think? Well, it's been shown it's a multi-billion dollar impact. And long term, it's going to continue to have a really uh, difficult to create a really difficult situation for Meta using its core advertising techniques. We're seeing the shift from, you know, third-party data where, where advertisers could get at their potential con customers just by going through Facebook. They didn't really need to engage their customers at all. So now there's all this new pressure that these companies are going to have to figure out a way to get more close and more connected with customers, and they're going to have to opt in. So, you know, from a standpoint of Apple, it was a really smart move because it actually gave Apple a lot more power and control. And, you know, Apple's building its services ecosystem, too. So, you know, I still kind of wonder if it was all done, you know, altruistically or if this is kind of like Apple saying, we're going to get more into advertising soon. So let's start to weaken the competition. Having said that, um, you know, Meta and Facebook, that part of its business was one of the most adversely affected by the IDFA, which was the ID for uh, Apple. Uh, privacy changes now that people can't, these advertisers can't get that prescriptive. The ads aren't as good. They can't charge as much for them. And Raji, add it all together in this recessionary period we're heading into. I mean, the economy is getting tough. We're seeing what's happening in tech. Facebook's horizon to try new things and take these big risks are, is going to get shorter if they can't get that core business right. Yeah. And you mentioned there your your take on Apple with privacy policy. To me, it sounds a bit cynical. Isn't it also the case that Apple has always been concerned, more concerned with privacy than the other bigwigs and that uh, Apple also sees potential in people choosing Apple products because they care about privacy? You know, Apple's, I'm always very conflicted about Apple as a technology analyst and as a user of their technology. Their walled garden technology, it's very lucrative for Apple to have you within their walled garden. We all know about iMessage, right? And yeah. iMessage, the idea that we can't possibly connect iMessage to an Android device because it's, it's not security anymore. They figured that out. But the bottom line is Apple doesn't really want 
people to be able to iMessage on an Android because that's one of the big reasons people buy iPhones. So I think it's both. I think the company understands there's an important posture right now about caring about people's data and at least letting people know that, hey, we're thinking about it and we're building a really secure ecosystem. We've all heard that, you know, iOS is supposedly more secure than Android. And I think there's been a lot of data over the years that has shown that. But at the same time, I think people give Apple a pass on some of their other behaviors that can be a little bit uh, self-serving at times. Um, and we've seen it, you know, as they're rolling out their services, as, you know, they, they've gotten in trouble for doing things with battery life during their iOS upgrade. So Apple's not a perfect company, but they tend to have this really great ability to connect with their consumer and build trust. And by the way, that's the exact opposite of how uh, people feel about um, Facebook and Mark Zuckerberg, even people that use it. I very rarely anymore seem to hear from anybody like, I love Facebook. It's mostly like, I use it because my family's there. <laughs> I don't know if I've ever heard anyone say that. Daniel, we'll have to uh, leave it there. Thank you so much for joining us and sharing your perspective on that for us. Thanks for having me.